Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. From our global headquarters in State College, Pennsylvania, it's the AccuWeather Podcast. Here's your host, Regina Miller. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the AccuWeather Podcast, and we are talking about the winter outlook. So I'm joined back in the studio today. I've got Andy here. I've got Ken in the house. I've also got Paul Pastelock, who's on our long-range team. Thanks uh, for joining me today, Paul. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Right. I know, and you're especially glad to be here. If you could mm-hmm. see Paul sitting here right now, he is like... What did you say, Andy? Yeah, he looked like one of the kids from the movie The Sandlot. He's all <laughs> baseballed out today. It's the playoffs, and my team's in it. I have to be wearing this Which stuff today. Which is your team? New is. York Yankees. Right. So you I mean, know. I just turned everybody, <laughs> half the people off now, probably. <laughs> no, I got half the people on, but half the people. He off. looks like Babe Ruth threw up on him. <laughs> he's all seriously. Let's paint the picture <laughs> the here. Yankee so he's got his on. T-shirt. Is that the best shot you can give me? <laughs> I got the judge I right. Went- here right on my on my chest right here the judge now here's the reason so let me just he's tell wearing you the, the pinstripe pants <laughs> he's got i'm he's, not gonna tell you about the underwear because i do have three pair three of those he's got so. the cleats on you know we're like we're in the building paul we don't need the uh cleats here, so. he's all set for our next interview <laughs> he is our next interview is going to be with joe lee he's the clubhouse manager for the new york yankees yeah and so we are going to be interviewing him so as soon as we said that we were going to be talking to him about weather and how it impacts uh you know teams like this that paul's like in the back of the room like pick me pick yep. me i want to do part of the interview so he's sitting in on our segment he's going to do part of the interview it's for like them. every kid hoping for that first snowstorm to get him out of school that's the way i am about the yankees just that you know freakish kiddish thing you know going on here. right very excited about it i'm excited you got the freak part right yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> so, Who invited that guy? <laughs> you invited, he's here every week. I don't. I don't oh, know. He okay. just keeps showing up. But uh, so, Paul, let's talk about the. You know, before we get into the winter forecast, okay, I want to take a look back at the summer forecast because I, I, w- I think it was our second or third episode where we talked to uh, Paul and Joe Lundberg about the fact that we were doing, you know, the long-range forecast. So in that episode, we were talking about uh, some heat in the west and the significant drought in the southwest. Right. I know that I remember that was one of the things in particular. But let's kind of go back and take a look at the summer forecast before we head on to the winter forecast. You know, you look back. When we made this forecast back in April, actually, uh, we were very confident in the West compared to the East. The West, we felt it was going to be dry. It was going to be severe drought, but it was going to go in periods for certain areas. It was going to start in the South and Southwest and gradually work its way up towards the Northwest, which is not uncommon in typical seasons. And that worked out perfectly. The timing of the dryness and the fires that went out of control in certain areas of the west uh started in the southwest again moved up to the northwest and then shifted a little bit farther south so that worked out perfectly i think we hit that right on farther east we were worried about a very wet muggy type of summer season setting up from the gulf states all the way to the tennessee valley and the carolinas 
and we nailed that right on. The only problem was is that expanded pretty far north on us into the mid-Atlantic states, and we know that we've had some very heavy rainfall over the summer there that caused massive flooding in the mid-Atlantic states. Uh, so it was pretty close in the east, and we were on to something. We saw that in past years, looking at past uh, years that kind of had the same pattern set up, and it worked out pretty good. We just weren't. It was it one didn't of the, go far east enough, and it turned out to be one of the more most humid summers in some places, like the Lower Hudson Valley, parts of the Delaware Valley. They they seem to, uh, if you go back to records, they had one of the most humid summers on record. And we just didn't quite get the full capacity there of that forecast for that uh, area. But in any case, we we knew it was coming farther south. Uh, we just didn't know how far it was going to expand. Right. At times, it it was so it felt like tropical downpours. Like I yeah. visited Mexico before, and I just remember in, in the summer it would be so humid and hot, and then all of a sudden just dump all this rain on you. And we were really were ending up with that a lot in the Mid Atlantic and in parts of the Northeast this year. That was so weird. And remember the first part, we didn't really have any true tropical systems in the beginning that caused all that heavy rain, and then the tropics started getting more involved with Gordon. And then eventually with Florence uh, producing all the rain in the Carolinas. So, you know, this is the kind of season we kind of anticipated, even the tropical. We had three or four hits, some early, some late. And uh, that kind of worked out pretty good as well, especially the areas we had focused. Now, as far as uh, the east, because the east was difficult mm-hmm. for you, and I'm just curious, looking back at it retrospectively, okay. is there something that you're saying now, looking back, saying, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that, when we saw that, it signaled this. Make a mental note for the future. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that what we looked at is the positioning of the Bermuda High. We talked a little bit about that in that last discussion. The positioning of the Bermuda High, it wasn't the most powerful or strongest Bermuda High that we saw, but it was positioned just right in the Atlantic that forced moisture to come in from not only the Atlantic, but also from the Caribbean at times. And that's what you know, pretty much set the tone. And in fact, it started in the spring and then just increased as we went through the summer months, just in the same area, coming up through the Gulf, the moisture, through the Tennessee Valley, and then eventually into the Mid-Atlantic states. Right. And it was kind of flattened, kind of flattened out, wasn't it? So that it kept, everything kept riding up and over and kind of like all the moisture would come into like eastern Pennsylvania and into southern right. New England. Like, so. If it was too strong and too far west, it would have deflected every system that was coming in from the west to go up into Canada, which we kind of thought might happen for the northeast where they would be a little drier. But it was a little too flat on the top that allowed those systems to come east, and that's what helped draw up the moisture from the Gulf, from the uh, southeast, all the way up into the Mid-Atlantic states. Those systems were able to move eastward and have some movement with it. We also think that the Western Pacific towards Asia had some effect on our summer season because we saw a high number of recurving typhoons. In fact, Japan was hit eight, nine times this season with tropical systems. That recurving nature leads to systems coming over the top into the northeast, uh, teleconnects about six to ten days down the road, and those systems came a little more frequent to help draw this moisture up eastward. So looking back at that, is something that's hard to forecast in advance, but we did um, think that had an input. Right, and that could be like one of those things going forward that you, it, pattern recognition. Well, yeah, we'll watch right, for the next yeah. time. Right. Exactly. Well, before we get to it, rate the difficulty of this year's winter forecast as opposed to maybe previous years. Uh, the confidence level we have is a little lower than last year. In fact, 
I mean, I was really dishing it out in in early August, the forecast to some people because we had pretty high confidence and last it worked year. out. Yeah, last okay. year and worked out pretty good. This year is a little more difficult, and the reason is is that we look for certain uh, signals, and those signals can, uh, like El Nino and La Nina, can be stronger and overpowering than other signals. And so, when that signal is strong, then we get a pretty good handle of what we can expect going forward. The El Nino is coming on in fall here. It hasn't really got there yet, but it's close. And it looks like it's going to be weak and a little different from other El Ninos. So the problem is is that you can't rely on that totally to make your entire forecast. Plus all this yeah, It's wi- kind of wishy-washy. You're kind of like it's kind of yeah. like meh. <laughs> so there's other you got to look at other things and we right. have looked at other things. And we're trying to figure out which one's going to stand out, which signal is going to be the dominant one that's going to take over going in. Plus all the rain that we've had can have some effect, the past. And so you're throwing in a lot of stuff into the pot instead of having one or two. And when you mix it, sometimes you don't get the exact, you know, the exactness of the winter right, season. So right. some, And also one other thing, too, the forecast models have been all over the place. Right. I mean, they haven't helped us. Even the us. forecast models, nothing can get a handle on this recent, some of these recent patterns. And like you say, maybe it's because nothing really stands out of, above the rest. So it's kind of like everything's kind of running equal. The forecast models are all over the place, but it's more the beginning of the season they're all over the place. Oh. That's what's nerve-wracking oh, okay. because you have no base to start. Although they all kind of come to consensus later in the winter that something big's going to happen. I don't know if you want me to let that Is know there now. something big that's yeah, going to happen? Yeah, something big's going to happen. Well, dramatic. Uh, well, you know what? We, we yeah, may, you can't what tease you that. I, mean, and then like, I could tease you. You were teasing me earlier. I could do anything I want to you. <laughs> He's just going to have Give us the details, please. <laughs> yeah, you know what? We're there. We're already talking about the let's, forecast, so tell me. Okay, let's go back to last February. Oh, let's go back to last February. Do you guys remember last February? Do you remember what happened last February? I don't February? remember yesterday. I know. I'm not even, don't, you just be quiet over there. I'm going to ask. Do you remember last February? Well, you, here's what I know about last February, okay. and I was really ticked off about it, if this is what you're going to say. We had, like, a heat wave briefly in mm-hmm. February. And so I left Pennsylvania in February to go to Texas to get away from the cold. It was rainy and miserable and only in the low 40s in Texas. And we got, like, some 70s in the exactly. northeast. Exactly. It was... It was the plain states from the northern plains to the southern plains was cool, damp, it right. was nasty. And the east was like seventies. It was it felt like it was late spring. I was so upset. in February. It was it was unbelievable. The temperature departures in New York and Philadelphia were about six to seven degrees, eight degrees above normal in February. It was it actually could have been I think it was even double digits in some places. It was unbelievable. Right. This year, I think it's totally opposite. I think we're looking at almost a 8 to 10 degree difference this year in some places compared to last February. A dramatic cold, I think, is going to come down in late January, February. It's going to be more aimed at the Ohio and Tennessee Valley, but I do think it gets into the east, and I think it's preceded by a very stormy January. So things are going to change drastically as we get into mid to late season for the eastern United States, I believe. Oh, wow. So it's going to be, when you say the east, how far southward are you thinking? Uh, all the way to the Gulf Coast. Uh, I do think oh, there's going to really? be some freezes and frost, even uh, maybe uh, you know threatening the agricultural regions of south Texas, the fruit areas, and uh, also maybe even central Florida. We're still watching that. It's been hard to get a damaging freeze down there. There's a slight chance that that could happen again, uh, happen this year. What well, I think I already asked you what were some of the components that really uh, mm-hmm. stand out for you when you're trying to do the forecast, and you were saying none of them really so much this year. Well, there's a couple. We're, we look at water temperatures uh, very strongly. 
we actually work at looking at waters uh, even as far down as New Zealand. Oh, really? Yeah, the water's been really running very warm east of New Zealand. There's a correlation that that could keep conditions in south in the southwest, including Southern California, drier and warmer than normal. And here we are talking about El Nino, and usually El Ninos bring a lot of moisture mm-hmm. to California. So depending on the El Nino that you have, which is weak, that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of leaning a little drier than normal uh, in, in the interior southwest especially and saying that Southern California really doesn't get into the meat mm-hmm. of the wet sea, you know, wet weather. It's farther north up the coast. So some things like that can dictate on where we, we, we're going to do little things, little, you know, small regions uh, as far as our long range. Uh, the water temperatures off the Atlantic are unusual. We have a, what we call a tripole going on. The waters are cool near Greenland, warm in the middle, and cool in the main development area of the tropics. That's why it took so long for the tropics to get going this oh, year. Yeah. And so when you see that kind of setup, that can really throw a wrench into the upper pattern across the Atlantic. Uh, we try to see if there's going to be, well, you know, warmer waters near Greenland would kind of give us an indication. Maybe there's going to be what we call blocking going on, developing in the mid to late season. Mm-hmm. Uh, with those cooler waters, it kind of goes against that idea. And if you don't have blocking, that makes it harder for the systems to come up to the no- up through the northeast as far as snow events go. Um, Does that of, mean less snow for the Yeah, northeast? that could be less snow. Really? Oh. They would tend to go farther south, across the southeast. And that's kind of where we have... Our forecast aimed a little bit as far as where the the bulk and meat of the storm systems to have higher impacts this year. Central Gulf Coast, Tennessee Valley, Carolinas, Mid-Atlantic states, those areas may see a little bit more in the way of active weather, snow, ice, things like that. Maybe even severe weather this year could be picked up, we think, in January and February in Florida. So let's break it down zone by zone. Starting off in the northeast. I still risk that we can get one snowstorm in December, although I think the first part is not very active. It's kind of quiet. Do you think it's pretty – so because uh, everybody's been saying, is it going to be an early winter in the northeast? So you're saying uh, it might be a little while that we're waiting for the first big storm. Well, I think there's one storm in December in the inter- far interior that can get them. But I think overall it's pretty quiet in the beginning, okay. and then it gets active later on you can have some cold and mild periods i think the lake effect is down especially in the eastern great lakes i don't think they get as much snow and that's what makes buffalo and syracuse end up being below normal in snowfall because they really count on the lake effect okay and the mid-atlantic down to southeast yeah i think this is going to be a a bigger headache trying to figure out where the snow and ice lines are going to be I think it's going to be frequent, especially in January and early February. I think it does dry out a little bit in February because it gets so cold. Mm-hmm. I think the cold, when you get Arctic so air, it's drier. There, yeah. So I do think it dries out a little bit there, but there's in danger of getting some frost and freeze farther south than what you, on a frequent basis that, than you expect. And, uh, you know, the Carolinas got whacked with, uh, you know, this big hurricane, and now they're going to may have to deal with, you know, cold maybe winter snow. storm. Yeah, winter it's, storm. it just doesn't look good. Uh, for that area of the country right now. Yeah, unfortunately, I hate to see that. So Mm -hmm. uh, what about North Central and Northwest? I think that the North Central states will start before the official start of winter season. They already have some snow in they have, in the short term, let me tell you, on the 8th, keep a note, October 8th, the first significant snowstorm is coming to the Northern High Plains. Six to 12 inches. They're going to get it. I think they're going to get buried. I think you're going to see that kind of in the fall and then a kind of a taper down, and then it comes back. The cold comes back in January and February up there and dives south. Uh, I think they'll they'll see some cold shots. Not going to see a lot of snow in the heart of the season. I think it 
just too the dry. Cold, just the Arctic. Yeah, cold I think that's that's where you're going to get. Although the temperatures on the front side could be so far above normal that they, for the whole three month, they may end up being just near neutral. So. Hmm. Okay. Uh, how about south, central to southwest? Yeah, I think there's going to be problems here as far as some uh, mid to late season cold shots down here. And I think that whole area down in the lower valley, be alert because there may be some cold that gets down to you guys at times. So I think that's an area that's going to be a little bit frequent on that. Other than that, I, I really think that majority of the moisture is east. Maybe Houston could get couple of big heavy rain events yeah and they've been dealing with some lately so i'm sure they don't want any more so. right all right well thank you so much paul and i know you are not going anywhere because we are going to be talking <laughs> to uh joe lee as i mentioned the clubhouse manager for the new york yankees so He's all geared up. Yeah, before we get to Joe Lee, just want to remind you that you can check out Paul Pastelock's detailed winter forecast right now on AccuWeather.com. Well, joining me now on the phone is Joe Lee. He's the clubhouse manager for the New York Yankees. Thanks for taking a little bit of time to talk to me today, Joe. Not a problem. Glad to be here. Can you tell me how long you've been doing this? So I've worked in the clubhouse. This is the um, my 24th season there. Wow. And yeah, I started a long, long time ago. I was like 15 years old been there ever since yeah how'd you end up working yourself into this gig uh, my dad had known the equipment manager at the time and he had had a spot open for the summer and he had said to uh, he had called me up and said oh if you want to come and be a bat boy for the summer you know we're more than happy to have you so I did that and uh, for three seasons I worked on the field with the players and, oh, that's and like a kid's uh, dream. after three seasons the assistant at the time the assistant equipment manager became the head equipment manager and then he said to me, "Why don't you come inside and be my assistant?" So I said, "Okay." And uh, I've been doing. I've been there. This, like I said, twenty-four years. That's great. Quick. Well, tell me what kinds of impacts uh, does weather have on your job? Weather, uh, obviously, the game at Yankee Stadium is played outdoors since we don't have a dome. Uh, we don't play, uh, you know, with a retractable roof. So we're exposed to the elements, obviously. Different times of year, obviously, the, the weather changes. We have to be prepared. So, in the beginning of the season in April in New York, obviously April, it could still it could be beautiful. I mean, two opening days ago, it was, oh God, it was almost 80 degrees. And then last opening day, I mean, we got snowed out. I, you know, so <laughs> it's crazy. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we have all sorts of different gear uh, nowadays. There's so much gear. Years ago, it was just like one type of turtleneck, one type of short sleeve shirt, and that was it. But now there's um, there's cold weather gear. So some of the companies that make us the cold weather gear, you know, there's like long sleeve gear. There's thicker long sleeve gear that really clings to the skin tighter. Mm -hmm, right. uh, there's loose fitting because guys have different comfortability levels. We have heavy jackets, long jackets that go all the way down to their ankles. We even have different types of batting gloves for colder weather. Typically get that in uh, April and October. Obviously in New York, October, uh, when you're playing playoff baseball, a big month <laughs> yeah that's really yeah it's a big month it can change so rapidly i mean yeah. like today here in new york is a beautiful day but you play at eight o'clock at night and you get into the middle to deep october it can be very cold or especially if we go to boston boston can be tend to be very raw and damp also in the cold weather what the ball players will do is they'll get from the training staff the athletic trainers which is a must is the um hand warmers and a lot of guys will keep a small hand warmer that they'll open up and shake up, which creates the heat, and they'll keep them in their back pocket uh, to keep their hands warm while they're out on the field. 
I can relate. I totally use that. And you may have heard, I want to I let you know, I'm also bringing in Paul Pastelock. I was sitting with him earlier doing our long-range forecast, and he is just uh-huh. an uber fan. Absolutely <laughs> loves New York Yankees. So he's sitting in, you mm-hmm. may have heard his voice. So say, hey, Paul, and he has some questions for you. Hey, Joe, I, you okay. know, the clubhouse itself and in, 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 in into the dugout, uh, you know, mm-hmm. are, is it temperature control? Do you guys do anything with that? Yeah. Is there any type of so- I mean, it's controlled as best we can do. Obviously, the dugout is outdoors with no glass or any doors to uh, keep the ball players cold or warm. But in the dugout, uh, there are vents on the top of the dugout which can blow heat or air conditioning. And the benches underneath have a heating system underneath, and they can be warmed in the dugout as well. And then if guys want to keep a little warm, if it was really, really cold, guys could just come down the few stairs of the dugout, and right inside the stairs of the dugout is the batting cages, and they can stay warm in there as well. Years ago, too, when George Steinbrenner was alive, if it got very, very cold, he was always concerned that the bats would be cold yes, and that they would be more inclined to snap if guys got jammed in on their hands a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he would bring in these – almost you see them still on football fields. Like there's like – almost look like um, – jet engines with like that blow like diesel fuel out you know uh and they are very very warm so he would like to keep the bats warm years ago by doing that i was wondering too joe about that with some of the players do, do they prefer the dugout to be warm uh or cool yeah, or, you know i mean because it, it does affect their play how's it going to affect sure, their play you know, out there? so a lot of times you know if these athletes they like to be loose and obviously the, the looser you know to stay loose they have to be a little warm uh, that's why even during the regular season, even when it's warm out, you'll see pitchers come in off the field and they put a jacket on just to keep that arm warm and keep their arm loose. Right. Uh, so, yeah, if it's real cold, we try to, you know, blast the heat in the dugout and both sides and whatever you have on one side, you have to have on the other side of the field, too. So if we're blasting the heat on one side, they, they'll have to have the heat on, too. Like we try to keep them as warm as possible. And, you know, these guys, they're plenty warm uh, between the jackets and we have um, knit caps for them. That's another thing on top of the cold weather gloves for the, you know, to keep their hands warm, plus the hand warmers. I mean, there's all sorts of different equipment that, you know, can keep them warm as possible until they get back out on the field in between innings. Yeah, we, you know, it seems like we talked about a lot about the cold, but, you know, this past summer it was so humid, uh, and that, of course, mm-hmm. made it feel hotter uh, for the uh, mid part of the summer season. Uh, how did yeah. they handle that this year? How, how did you guys handle that? So what they do for extreme heat, uh, the athletic trainers, there's obviously always water and uh, Gatorade in the dugout. Uh, but for extreme heat, what the trainers do is they'll provide also a bucket of ice water that's mixed with ammonia and uh, lemon in it. Wow. And uh, what they'll do is they'll keep an ice cold. They'll they'll keep like a towel in there. And in between innings, if it's really, really humid, I mean, you know how people's faces get so red and just can't even breathe sometimes because the humidity, the air is so thick. They'll take a towel and put that ammonia towel on uh, their face. And it just it makes you feel so nice and cool because that ammonia, your pores are so open. And when you put the ammonia water on your face, it almost feels like your face is freezing, you know. (laughs) That Um, surprises me. Or they'll keep a spray bottle with the ammonia water in it and spray guys up and down the bench when it's that warm. Anytime it's 90 degrees or over. Uh, they'll have that ammonia water in the dugout. I wish I had that when I was playing baseball. I mean, I had so many days on that pitcher mound, I could have used anything to cool off. So, What is, like, the strangest – you know, you've been there for 24 years. What is Mm -hmm. the strangest request that you think you ever got? We do all sorts of different things for the players. I mean, obviously, we have to have everything in preparation for a game as far as their uniforms, their bats, their equipment. Uh, We're in charge of what food they're going to eat. 
uh, prior and after the game. Uh-huh. Uh, we have different restaurants cater in food for us and stuff like that. Uh, but then we go above and beyond, you know, these guys have so many hours at the ballpark. So they ask you to do things for them. Uh, it could be like, oh, my family's in town and uh, can you help me get tickets? I want to take them to see the Lion King and we'll do that. One of the stranger requests, though, ball player had come in. Uh, his name was Vernon Wells. He was an outfielder for Yeah, us. I remember Vernon. And um, he had asked us, uh, <laughs> he had brought in a box of cannolis, four cannolis. <laughs> oh, I love cannolis. That he had bought at some bakery in the city. And he came in, it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and he says to me, he says, Joe, do you think that you can overnight these to my wife in Texas? And I'm thinking, <laughs> That's and not I'm such like, a strange I, request. I would totally yeah. be about that request. And I'm like, I can't just drop four cannolis in a FedEx envelope and ship it out, you know? I'm like, there's a place down the block from Yankee Stadium that sells dry ice. So I figured, okay, yep. I can just buy some dry ice, throw it in a cooler, tape it up, and ship it out. But you can't. I didn't know it was illegal to buy dry ice and... To ship it from Yankee Stadium, you have to be an approved dry ice. It's like licenses to even be able to ship dry ice. So anyway, I went. I bought dry ice anyway. The guy sold it to me. and uh, But when I packaged it up, the guy at UPS says, oh, you can't send it like this. He says, this dry ice evaporates, it's an, and it's a gas, and it can explode. I said, well, I can't have exploding cannolis, you know, so... <laughs> Um, so he repackaged it for me and he was the UPS store. Now I know this from learning this for this day was, is a licensed vendor in, in shipping dry ice. So I was able to do it just in time. And, and the cannolis got there the next day. And I asked him, I said, Oh, you know, Vern, Hey Vern, did you, uh, did your wife get the cannolis today? He goes, yeah, but they were frozen. You know, so it just wasn't good. No good anymore. Um, but that was one of the oddest request late in the afternoon that I got was four cannolis to be shipped somewhere, you know, like last minute. Um, <laughs> That's great. But other than that, it's pretty, nor- it's pretty normal stuff. Do you follow them at all down the spring training or you just stay at home for the regular season? No, I, uh, I tend to go to spring training sometimes for like a week to 10 days. Uh, this past spring, I went for the entire spring. They needed someone to fill in. So I went down there for the whole 10 weeks uh, this past spring. But just to get out of the cold weather, I'll go to spring. I mean, it's hot. It's warm down there, out. so you got to do things differently. It's you're starting off really warm down there, then you got to bring them up here. I mean, is that transition from weather have a does it make a big difference to the players? The players complain about that all the time, actually. So the Yankees are based right in Tampa, so I mean, most of the time it's pretty warm down in Tampa. I mean, you right. get a cool night here or there in February, March, but for the most part, they're playing during the day and it's comfortable. And a lot of times, when you come back up and. For instance, next year we're starting. I think we open up at home next year on like March 28th or something like that. It's very early, right. and we're not opening up in a dome or in a warm weather climate. Uh, it is a big adjustment because these guys just spent two months training in warm weather, and then they come in and sometimes I mean it's 30 at night or like the high is still 45. And to play a summertime game in that type of element, it's hard. It's hard for players to get loose. You know, they're not fully loose, too, where they're you know used to, like, playing full games every single day. And now all of a sudden you're trying to do that and try to be loose in an atmosphere that's that's still cold. So uh, it takes some time to get used to. And sometimes you hope for a good April and a good October. But obviously that's out of our control. So, I mean, they just have to, you know, both teams are playing in the same elements. Uh, but, you know, you just hope that your team is a little tougher when it comes to that. Because it is, it is hard, you know, and especially the guys who come from the Caribbean, you know, the guys yeah. that come from the Dominican mm-hmm. Republic, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, they complain the most about the temperature because they're just not used to it. You know, anytime it's like below 70, they want it like, you know, a, a long coat on. You know, we try to do the best we can in keeping them warm, but, you know, it's a summertime game. And sometimes, um, you know, there are so many games in baseball and you just cannot get around the cold. I mean, certainly they do it in Minnesota now they play outdoors. 
so they've had a rough time sometimes in Colorado also in April. I mean, they've gotten snowed out many times, which is, you know, when you think about playing a summer game and, you you know, you can't play because of snow, it's kind of funny, really. The weather transition didn't affect the Sandman when he was playing for the Yanks, so it looked like he was <laughs> doing – he did pretty good, so for that transition. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some guys some guys are okay. Yeah. I mean, just other guys just thrive. Uh, the hotter, the better. Yes. Uh, but, yeah. you know, it's an individual uh, preference, really. Gotcha. If, if it's cold, though, we're prepared for it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And especially on the road, too. Like, you have to take that equipment on the road with you, too. Certainly, uh, even a couple of weeks ago when they went to um, Oakland or San Francisco, even in the summer, is very cool. So we'll bring heavy jackets uh, on the road with us, sometimes even midsummer, because it's still cool in certain places of the country. Well, uh, Joe, packing for a family, I know how hard that is if you forget uh-huh. one thing. If you forget one thing. So I can't imagine <laughs> the packing you have to do for these games. So I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time to sit down and talk to us. It's been great. Not a problem. Thanks. Have a great day. Take care. And keeping with the theme, we have Elliot Abrams up next with This Week in Weather. Baseball playoffs and World Series games in October sometimes occur on days when it's cold or snowy. In October of 1979, snow fell during a World Series game on October 10th in Baltimore. Well, that can't happen this year because Baltimore is not in the playoffs. In 1997, the first two games between the Florida Marlins and Cleveland Indians were played with temperatures in the 80s in typical South Florida weather. However, Game 4 was played in Cleveland with snow showers and temperatures in the 30s and harsh winds. October is known for loud colors matched by noisy winds. Grass noise, sullen solitude, that's October. This year, summer holds on. We expect summer-style weather to dominate the east right through next week, while cold and even snow descend on the Rockies. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Elliot Abrams. Well, we want to thank our guests for this week, Paul Pasolak and also Joe Lee from the New York Yankees. And you know what? I, I like the fact that we could do something great for Paul. We are dream makers. We are wonderful people. We, we are. I can walk away feeling so much better about myself because I did this for Paul. But he was so excited he about was that busting. interview. Yeah, he <laughs> was He was. Although the image it. of Paul and all that Yankees gear will yeah. never leave my brain. Yeah, the New York Yankees super fan. Yeah. So, yeah, big thanks to Joe Lee and uh, from the New York Yankees for taking time for to talk to, to us. Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. For this week's podcast, yeah. <laughs> we just keep teasing Paul about this. But it was. It was great and it was so much fun talking to Joe Lee. So we're glad that he could join us for a little bit. And make sure that you tune in next week because we got a great show coming up. So check us out. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the AccuWeather podcast, giving you the stories behind the weather, discussions on trending weather topics, and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. 